Father, we are thankful for each day that you give us. There is a limited supply of mornings and evenings that each one of us in this mortal life will experience. A limited amount of smiles that will come to our face, a limited number of handshakes and hugs, a limited number of dinners enjoyed with those we love. Lord, would you help us to be those that understand the scarcity of our mortal lives and because of that, know how to live and yes, to die well as those who are being used by the very handiwork, uh, the work of your hands and sustained by your mercy. Would you help us to lead momentary lives that matter in your sight and in your economy? Oh, Father, would you uh, speak through me now, grant me strength to my mortal body, but also grant through the words that you have written down for us, the word that we need in order to be found faithful when our Lord Jesus returns. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. If you want to die, you should do it yourself. Those are the words of a guy that I've been affectionately referred to as Dr. Death. He goes by the name of Philip Nitschke over in the Netherlands. He's an inventor and an advocate for the right for people to commit suicide. He thinks that life is only meaningful insofar as you assign meaning to it, that you are the master of your own destiny, and therefore, when you're done with life, you should be able to end it quickly, conveniently, and comfortably. So to that end, he has created what's called a death pod. Uh, it looks something like an Egyptian sarcophagus if it was created by an engineer at Apple. Sleek lines, uh, something technologically advanced. You, you climb inside, you close the lid, and when you're ready, you press a button. And in just five minutes, your mortal life will be over. Now, in some ways, that invention is the logical outcome of the thought that you are the one that assigns meaning to your life. If life is what you make of it, if there are no rules except the ones you make for yourself, and if really life is just about you following your dreams, then who is there to tell you that you should not end your life comfortably, quickly, and at the touch of a button. And yet if you were made in the image of God, if someone made you and who defines what is right and it was wrong and assigns meaning itself for you, then the way you think about death will be oh so very different. The Bible tells us that God made us, that he creates meaning for our lives, and that he and only he can decide when those lives are ready to be over. Uh, psalm 90 is a psalm that's very often been read at funerals. Uh, it's a song with a bit of a melancholy tone to it. And verse 12 tells us what we are supposed to take from it. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Uh, we are to learn that our lives are momentary, but they are meaningful because they have been made by a merciful God. 
That's what I hope you'll learn this morning, that since your life is made in the image of a merciful God who's in charge of the world and everything in it, that your life, though it is brief, it is beautiful. Though it is momentary, it is meaningful. Uh, we'll move through this passage in three sections, arriving at this conclusion. Uh, first, in one through six, we'll see that your life is momentary. Your life is momentary. Second, in seven through 11, we'll see that your life is measured. Your life is measured. And then finally, in 12 through 17, we'll see that your life is meaningful. Your life is meaningful. Let's start with that first section. Your life is momentary. The superscription or the words before the first verse tell us that this is a song sung first by a man named Moses. Uh, this is the only psalm we know of that Moses wrote, which makes it significant alone on that point. Uh, but also, if you notice, if you look in your Bible, right above even the superscription, it tells us this is the first song in book four of the Psalms. Uh, you might remember back the summer, we, we did a study through the Psalms, and there's a, a movement or a trajectory or a shape to the actual collection of songs. Uh, book four is a book filled with darkness and despair. It's filled with songs of suffering as God's people are out in exile, wondering when and how God might one day bring them back to be his people in his place under his rule again. Well, Moses obviously wasn't living in those days, but Moses' song has that melancholy tone fit for a people in exile and dealing with suffering, even facing down the prospect of death. Uh, I don't know exactly when Moses wrote this song. Uh, if I had to guess, though, I think the best candidate would be right near the end of his life, uh, Deuteronomy 31 or so. Uh, at this point, Moses is an old man. He served God and God's people as their prophet and leader for a long time, wandering through the desert with a stiff-necked and difficult people. Uh, at this point, he's begun to have that discouragement that so many do as they grow older of watching their peers die around them. Uh, Sister Miriam has died. So has his brother Aaron. The elders and peers around him one by one have died. And Moses knows that his time is coming. God has actually told him, Moses, you're not going to get to enter into the promised land. No, you're going to die here in the desert because of a sin committed with a high hand. Uh, Moses, as he's reflecting on this coming end to his life, and I, I can't think, help but think that he's wrestling with questions of futility. Is this people really going to make it without me? I, I mean, they've been so difficult for me to deal with. What hope is there for the future? Has my whole life been worthwhile? As Moses is thinking through all of this, his, his mind travels back. And like so many, whose hearts are filled with faith, in times of deep questions like this, they go back to a, a place of safety and security. And, and verses 1 through 2, Moses goes back to something he does know. God is a sure thing, a, a home base, a safe place for his soul. He declares in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
uh, back before Moses existed, back to the patriarchs, all the way back to Abraham. Uh, God has shown himself to be faithful, a safe place, a, a home for his people. Moses remembers that. And, and then he remembers even further back than that. Before Abraham, before Adam, uh, before the world itself was made. Uh, in verse 2, Moses reflects on the fact that while his life is ending, God's life never ends. Uh, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see, no matter, no matter how fleeting our lives are in this world, there's great comfort to be drawn from the fact that God's life goes on forever. He never grows old, he never grows tired, and he never ceases to exist. Uh, that's where Moses starts. His home base is that God is forever and a safe place for his people. And from there, he starts to extend out and reflect back on his life and just how momentary it is. Uh, verses 3 through 6 has two stanzas to the song. Both of them are reflecting on this idea that our lives are fleeting and they fade quickly. Uh, and 3 through 4, he uses the image of dust. Uh, Adam was created out of the dust. And remember, after Adam sinned and the sentence of death was put upon him and the whole human race, God told him to, to dust he would return. And so it's been for every human being that's lived since. We live for a time, and then our bodies wear out. They stop breathing, our hearts stop beating, and we disintegrate. Uh, these wonderful creations God has made one day return back to dirt, to mere dust. Moses reflects on this and realizes that that doesn't happen on its own. Now, in a sense, every human that's ever died and come apart does so by God's command. God declares, return, O children of man. He sets the end point for each of our lives, as fleeting as they are. In verse 4, he reflects on the fact that all the span of our life, though it seems like much to us, it's, it's all like no time at all for God. Uh, it's like that afternoon you just lived through yesterday. Or like that small stretch of the night where you woke up and you couldn't sleep. You forget about the next day. Uh, to God, our lives are so brief. It's almost as if they don't happen. In verses 5 through 6, uh, he shifts the metaphors, uh, showing just how inevitable it is that the end of our lives will come at God's discretion. Uh, they're like a piece of driftwood that's carried along by a raging river with absolutely no power whatsoever to stop it. God sweeps away our lives when he's done with them. Uh, we're like a dream. Uh, we're ephemeral. There's no substance to us. Uh, and just a moment, we're gone. And the world and everything in it forgets about us. Uh, we're fleeting like the grass. Uh, Moses is thinking of the type of grass they have out in the Mideast. The, if you look out at the countryside in, Pal in uh, Israel and Palestine, uh, mostly you'll see brown and gray. There's not much life there. But every once in a while, a big a rainstorm will sweep through and Almost like magic, 
The whole countryside will turn green. Grass will, will spring up, but it won't last. Now, even that same day, later in the afternoon, once the sun comes out, that grass will become scorched and it'll die as quickly as it sprung up. It'll fade away. So it is for the human life. Uh, when you think about it, life goes by so fast, doesn't it? Uh, when you're young, you think that your life will go on forever. You don't think much about the reality that one day you'll grow old and one day you'll die. But if you talk to someone that's old enough, that's lived a number of decades on this earth, they'll tell you there's this strange thing that starts happening. The longer you live, the faster time seems to go. The decades just start clicking by and before you know it, you're the old one in the room. No one gets your jokes. All the movies you remember are oldies. How does that happen? Well, that's the nature of a mortal life. As Moses will say later, if you're lucky, you'll live 70 or 80 years. With medical advances, that might be extended a, a decade or two more. But if Jesus doesn't come back before it, this is what's coming for each of us. Sooner or later, that river of life will carry us downstream. And at God's perfect timing, our lives will come to an end. And now there's a lesson to be drawn from this. Remember, this is all told to us not to make us feel depressed, but that we might have a heart of wisdom. When you realize that your life will end and you're not in control of how it will end, well, then you're ready to find comfort in the reality of your mortality. Now, if you're humble enough to realize that God is sovereign over your life, of every single hair on your head and every breath that comes out of your lungs, there's a comfort that you can draw from the fact that you don't know how long you live on this world. Uh, it could be a very anxious thing to try and avoid all the dangers in life, to try and preserve your life at all costs. Uh, some people spend fortunes trying to find a, a way to live on beyond their earthly deaths. But it shouldn't be that way for Christians. We should be able to rest in the reality that our lives will last precisely as long as God wants them to. Uh, that doesn't mean we live in a reckless or cavalier way or we intentionally take our own lives. In fact, that would be the height of arrogance. But it does mean we can rest in the reality that when the time comes, the Lord will tell us to return to dust and that will be the right time for our, our lives to end. Uh, there's certainly an implication for us on the, the other side of this too. Scarcity helps you to value things, doesn't it? When you don't have much, you realize how much you need what you have. Uh, once you realize that you have a fixed number of days in this world, it forces you to ask questions of how am I going to use those days? A bit of advice if you're younger in the room, don't wait to be intentional about the way you live. Don't think that living for Christ is something for me once I'm old and gray. No, no, use the days you have, however many that may be. Use them to live for Christ and you won't regret it. Uh, the first reflection that Moses has is that our lives are momentary. Now on its own, that would not be good news though. 
because a brief life could still be a meaningless one, which is why we need the second truth. Your life is measured. That's what we see in verses 7 through 11. Your life is measured. I'm going to show my age for a second here. I remember uh, back to my days in college that we would take these multiple choice tests and use something called a Scantron. You guys know what a Scantron is? If you're young enough, you probably don't. Uh, It's a long sheet of paper with all these ovals in it. And it's just got numbers and A, B, C, D, E on it. And uh, you would look at the test, you look at the Scantron, you'd bubble in your answers. Now, the whole point of the Scantron is to save your teacher the grunt work of grading your test by hand. They, they could just enter the, the answer key into a machine and then feed the Scantron through, and in just a second, it would feed back whether you had lived up to their expectations or not. Now, without the answer key, the Scantron is utterly useless. It is completely meaningless to anyone if they handed you a strip of paper with a bunch of ovals shaded in. But with the answer key, suddenly that Scantron has a huge meaning. It's the difference between an A, a B, or retaking that course for a second time. Now, realize life with no standard, no measurement, is life with no meaning. If you are of the opinion that life is just of the meaning that you assign to it, that puts a lot of pressure on you to make sure that assignment you make to it is worthwhile. One of the dirty secrets about that worldview is it leads to inevitable despair. Uh, One day or the other, you'll realize that your assigned meaning for life isn't all that meaningful. And you'll be left with a life that is completely and utterly pointless. But the Bible's view of life is very different. Uh, The Bible tells us that what we do matters because there is a God who measures our lives against his perfect law and perfect character. Uh, But like a Scantron with a test, that could be good news or bad news, uh, depending on how you perform. Uh, Moses realizes this. He knows why life is so difficult to live, and he knows why so many of us are fearful of dying. It's because one day God will hold us all to account. Uh, In verses 7 through 8, he describes what that day of account will be like. Uh, Before we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have said our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. It's a fearful thing to think about that a perfect, holy, and just God will one day hold up your life up to his perfect standard and measure whether your life is pleasing to him or not. Uh, Moses understands that our lives will, when they are sinful lives, end in punishment, anger, wrath. That the end of our lives will not be happy, they will be days of dismay. He imagines uh, all of our sins, even the secret sins that no one knows about, laid bare before God. And before that perfect gaze of God's holiness, each and every one of us would be undone. 
Uh, not only is this bad news for the end of life, it actually would be really bad. It's really bad news for the world we live in right now. In verses 9 through 11, he explains why this life we live in is so futile. It's because of God's wrath against our sins. Uh, for all the days, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even 80 by uh, strength of reason, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to fear of you? Uh, Moses understands why the human existence is one of toil and trouble and seeming futility. It's because we live in a world and in bodies that are cursed. Uh, remember back to Adam after that first sin. God gave a just judgment. Adam and all of his progeny would not live forever. They would die. And they would live in a world that would be full of toil and trouble. There would be difficulty in tilling the ground and difficulty, difficulty in bearing sons and daughters. The whole world is living under a curse. Now, living in that world without knowledge of God and without friendship with the God who governs it is the most futile of all tasks. Uh, Moses understands this, that if all we had was the existence in this world filled with toil and trouble, man, that's a, a pretty bad lot. But remember the good news that Moses only knew in part that we know in full that the life that we live is not just one filled with toil and trouble, but because of one that was sent to live a perfect life on our behalf and to turn away the wrath of God, uh, we can know that this life is not all there is. And the difficulties of this life will one day give way to eternal joys. And see, friends, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us that, yes, we do live under a curse and that our toils in this world would be fruitless if not for the fact that God sent his own son. Jesus, the man who lived the perfect life, who used every one of his days exactly the way God wanted him to. Uh, he did that so that he could turn away the wrath of God from sinners uh, by dying on the cross as a substitute for our sins. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross fully satisfied the anger of God, absorbed the punishment for sinners so that we can be forgiven of our sins and we can know that the final day of judgment won't be a terrifying day for us, but a day of vindication. If we know God through Jesus, and if we repent of our sins or put our faith in him. Uh, now, friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I just have to ask you, do, does this life feel like it's a safe thing to put your trust in? Aren't there so many things that could make you suffer or die? So many reasons for you to feel insecure in this world. It's not by accident. Uh, God means for you to notice the toil and trouble of this world and to to, to go from that truth back to the reality that you were made by him and that one day you will face him in judgment. Uh, it will be a 
the worst of all days for you if you meet him on that day of judgment trying to stand on your own merit. But if you put your trust in Jesus and repent of your sins, you don't have to fear that day. You can look forward to it because it'll be the first day of a series of unending days, no longer filled with trouble and toil, but with unending joy and eternal life. Now, if you're a Christian, realize the implication this has for you. Uh, you shouldn't get too comfortable in this earthly life. Uh, it would do you no good even if you wanted to hang on to it. Uh, remember, God will one day sweep your earthly life away. But no matter how many good days you have down here, none of them will be better than the days you'll have with God forever. In heaven and one day in a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, in essence, this 70, 80, 90 years you might live is, is just the prelude to the true song that will one day be sung. The song of joy of your life and fellowship with God. So don't be too discouraged when there are toils and troubles and difficulties. And don't get too attached to this world. Uh, remember, this is kind of like the waiting room. Significant, beautiful, important, but temporary. But what's coming is forever and fully satisfying. There's one final step for us to have a heart of wisdom. For us to realize that your life is meaningful in verses 12 through 17. Your life is meaningful, verses 12 through 17. Now, our lives are not meaningful on their own. Uh, the, that project to assign meaning to life merely on the basis of our wills and our minds and our thoughts is a fruitless and frustrating one. No one will ever find lasting peace that way. But there is a way to find rock-solid hope that your life is meaningful, and it is on the basis of God's mercy. Uh, Moses has a series of appeals to God. Uh, up until now, he's been reflecting on life and God, but now he speaks directly to God and asks him to do things. A series of things all related to his mercy in verses 13 through 15. He says, return, O God. Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Uh, Moses appeals to God to, to do something that none of us can, to make up for all the hardship and difficulty, for all the suffering and toil and trouble, to give back, not because we earn it, but because of God's mercy, to give back in gladness the price we paid in suffering. Now, God doesn't owe any of us anything aside from his punishment and justice. And yet, he so often gives us, even in this earthly life, gives us back all that we've lost and more so, all according to his grace and with blessings that are undeserved. Uh, Moses asks God on the basis of his mercy, make this suffering we have endured meaningful. But then he does something that I found incredibly insightful in verses 16 through 17. He ends this song on the note 
of work. It's interesting. On the note of work. So much about death. So much about judgment. And here he ends talking about work. In verse 16, he talks about God's work. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. I think that's easy enough to understand. Praying, God, show us your mighty power again. Work amongst us. But look at verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, One of the thoughts that many people struggle with as they get closer to the end of life is have the things I've done in this life been meaningful? Is any of the work I've done going to be of lasting value? Is there any legacy I'll leave behind? Is there any impact that I've had? Or have I just lived out my days and if I'm a Christian, good news, I get to go and be in heaven, but, but that's it. Moses understands a, a glorious truth that Christians should find so comforting. That as small as your life may be, it is part of God's big plan for the world. That as tiny as your efforts, and as feeble and frail as it might feel, for you to try and do something of lasting value. That if your hands are established by the eternal God, full of mercy, then your efforts make an internal impact. Or maybe I'll put it in Paul's words, Ephesians 2.10. You are his workmanship, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Maybe you have trouble Mondays in the office. Another work week ahead of you. Another year, 52 weeks worth of working with just a few weeks off for vacation. Maybe it doesn't feel like you're doing all that much slinging emails and responding to memos and going to staff meetings and Maybe you find yourself week to week getting a little complacent. But what if that life, though it seems somewhat boring at times, what if it has eternal value, the way you work, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you respond to your boss giving you a project you didn't want to do, the way you face another Monday? What if all of that was part of God's big plan for the world. It has lasting value. Uh, Parents, uh, there's so many moments it feels like you're just trying to get through to the next thing, doesn't it? Especially when your kids are young. Uh, Just get them fed. Just get them to bed. Just get them through this car ride to mom and dad's house. Just whatever it is, just get through it. But what if each and every one of those moments as frustrating as it may be, as frail as your efforts may feel? What if they have lasting value? Because not, you're, not because you're some wizard great parent, but because God is merciful. What if that conversation you're having with them might stick with them far longer than you realize and be part of God's plan and their life to accomplish something that lasts forever? 
maybe you're at the end of life or getting close to it. Uh, You're seeing your ability to do so many things shrink. Maybe even seeing your body shrink along with it. It can be easy to slip into a sort of despair, wondering, why am I still here? I hear that a lot. Why does God still have me here? But what if God has works for your hands still left to do? An encouragement for someone that cares for you. A prayer that you are yet to pray. Your work on this earth isn't done until you do. Realize that because of God's mercy and because of the works of his hands, your work has meaning in this world. You know, our lives don't last all that long. They're momentary. And it's so difficult for us to see the things that God is accomplishing through them. Every once in a while, he gives us a little glimpse into it. Uh, There was a missionary by the name of Victor Plymer. He was a Christian missionary alliance, a missionary sent out to China, had ambitions to go to Tibet to preach the gospel to the people who had never heard the good news of Jesus. Well, along the way, he and his family stayed for a time in a village, established a church, had some fruitful ministry. And then before they could set out for Tibet, tragedy struck. Uh, Victor's wife and five-year-old son contracted smallpox and soon died. Uh, Victor didn't know what to do except to do the best he could. So he bought a burial plot on a mountainside. And it was the dead of winter, but he did the best he could with the hands the Lord gave him. He went out and he tried to dig graves for his wife and his dead son. How frustrating it must have been to, for him to find that that ground was frozen and that his hands weren't strong enough to dig two graves. He had to settle for one that they shared. Uh, that must have seemed like toil and trouble beyond what a person should be able to bear. And, and it went on for decades where Victor had no clue why God saw to it to happen this way. In fact, it was over 30 years after his death when God's eternal purpose in small part was revealed by that futility with the work of his hands. Uh, It was in the early 90s. The Chinese government had changed their tune toward Christians for a time, and they were returning property to churches if they could prove that they had ownership over that property. Only one problem. Uh, The church that Victor had helped to found, it was still there, didn't have any deeds to their land or their building. So the government was going to seize it. Uh, That is until Victor's son came across the deed to the burial plots for Victor's wife and son. It turned out in a quirk of God's providence that Victor had thought to put the deed for that spot of frozen dirt in the name of the church. And when it was presented to the Chinese government, they accepted it as proof that the church owned the property. And that congregation of believers got to keep their church building and keep doing the work of proclaiming the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you almost never will know the way the Lord is establishing the work of your hands or what eternal difference it might make. And yet if your life, momentary as it is, is in the hands of a merciful God. The God who made you, 
the God who gives purpose to your life, then feeble and frail as you might be, your life matters. And the work you do in this earth for him will have eternal impact. Your life is momentary. God is merciful. And that means your life is meaningful. Let's pray.